0: How do we improve our confidence? As teachers and as dancers, building our confidence is a big topic, and there's a lot to it. So I'm gonna talk about it today, but I chose to tackle this big topic with a fellow mental performance expert by my side. Hi, it's Dr. Chelsea, and this is the Passion for Dance podcast, where we talk about mindset, motivation, and resilience in dance. And today I'm joined by Lauren Ritchie, so that we can really dig deep into confidence. We talk about where it comes from, how to build it, what to do when it's shattered, and more. Lauren is an established mental skills educator, a dance teacher, and a choreographer. I'm so excited to have a fellow mental performance expert who is also a dance expert. Her areas of expertise include sport and performance, mental training, and the intersection of well-being and mindfulness. Her work has led to the creation of international teacher training programs, dance and sport conventions, the pioneering show, The Dance Podcast, and mental performance-based curriculums for dancers, athletes, and coaches. So who better to talk to about confidence? This is a bit of a longer conversation than I normally share, but there is a lot in it. So stick around for the end. We talk about how fake it till you make it is a life hack that neither one of us are a big fan of. And of course, we share those concrete tips that you can use for your own confidence or to support your dancers. So listen in for advice and stories and tips about confidence from two mental performance experts. I hope you enjoy.
1: Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited. You and I have talked about this for so long, so the fact that it's happening, yes. I am thrilled. That's what I was
0: thinking. This is a long time coming, and I'm so grateful to have you, and to be able to talk to another like mental performance expert who understands dancers is such a treat. There's not that many of us in this space, and it's so amazing to have somebody to talk through this with who has a similar approach to all of this. So I'm grateful to have you here.
1: I love talking about concepts with the mentality with something like confidence, you know, like we're going to like tease it apart and play with it. That to me is part of the process and what I love doing. And so it's like, let's take an idea or something that swirls around on social media or in pop culture and just pause with it and rumble with it and, and like challenge it in so many ways, because that to me is how we become more intimate with it and we're better able to use it or to do something with it. Yes.
0: Oh, well said. So yes, we're going to dive into confidence because it is such a huge concept. And just, as you said, thrown around, like I just want to be more confident or how do I get more confident or my dancers are never confident on the stage. You know, they look great in rehearsal and then they fall apart and we use that word constantly, but then it's hard to dig into. What does it really mean? How do we get it? Uh, the myths around it, which is I think a great place for us to start. We were brainstorming before. I know you have shared these great ideas. There's these frankly myths about confidence that come from who knows, quotes, folklore, <laughs> you know, old versions of what we think confidence is that can be really misleading. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to just kind of riff off this with you and think about how we look at confidence as mental performance consultants, and then hope that that can help the dance educators and the dancers listening take something away from this about how they can share, boost their own confidence. So I think one of the big ones we can start with is the idea that confidence comes from success, that Mm. you have to be like, you have to do the thing first in order to ever feel confident about it. Or, you know, those big moments are when you're gonna feel confident. And I get the sense from dancers I talk to that they're like, well, I'll be confident when. Like mm. and they're waiting for that thing
1: to happen in order to be confident. Do you see that too? How do you feel about that? Oh my gosh, my heart races and I get sweaty because it's <laughs> just, <laughs> and also because I have such an intimate experience with that framework right? And it's sort of, it's also the culture waters that we swim in with this like overextension of external validation. And so we can start hooking the belief on that, okay, well, if I win this title, if I get this mark, that's going to cure everything. That's going to solve all my problems. I know that I'll be quote unquote worthy or worth it. And so for me, when I look at this idea that, you know, confidence is going to come through big moments, it's, I mean okay let's be clear when working with children and adolescents absolutely that is going to help contribute to the to the self talk to the building of trust and I I always go back to that with confidence if you break the word apart and you look at it from its latin roots it is con with fid trust mm-hmm. and so this whole process of building confidence, stable confidence to me has been, how can we build in self-trust?
0: Love that, that's so well said. And I was just talking about this recently about perfectionism, which you and I have shared about a lot too. And that per, that desire for perfectionism is rooted in that same issue of like, it's all about external validation. And the only way to start to get rid of it is to turn internal and to start like validating yourself and knowing that you've done your best. Um, I love that you tied that with confidence. It is absolutely that root of self trust.
1: Yeah, I'm curious because two things can be true. We can have a moment that gives us a boost of feeling mm-hmm. good and changes our self talk, and also um, we build it on the daily. We build it in the very small mirror moments where we're looking at ourselves, asking, you know, ourselves, mm-hmm. have we been integral? Have we done the work? Yeah. But for you, have you had a big moment or a moment when you realized? you need more than a big moment in your own process. And it could be through dance. It could be through academia. It, like you have yeah. so many different parts of you, but I'm, I am curious if you've had sort of that experience.
0: Oh, that's such a good question. You're going to flip it on me. Let's see. I, hmm, I'm trying to think of a dance one. I like an academic one comes to mind right away. I don't know about
1: a dance. one. I'm sure it was there. Now it just feels like a different life sometimes. Right. Of the last time I was there. I would love to hear your academic one because we know yeah. we spent just as much time in academia. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, so I think the one time I
0: did have a really big moment that actually was like, okay, maybe I belong here. Maybe I can do this was the dissertation defense of having that big presentation moment and having that, like, I could answer their questions and I felt confident in what I was doing. And, but that was a thing. Like I'd been preparing for literally for years for that one moment. And I think as in comparing that into the dance world, we're looking for those moments to happen when you've been working on a routine for a month, or we don't think about the moment that yes, that big confidence boost might happen, but it could be years from now. And don't wait for that. (laughs) Don't wait for that thing to happen um, that long. But that was one moment where I walked out of there and I was like, okay, like I maybe, maybe I do belong. And Imposter syndrome still comes back, but that was a, if I had to pick a moment shift, that was it.
1: Yeah. I love that you brought up imposter syndrome because I think another myth of confidence is that it means you don't have self-doubt. Right. And this idea that like, you're not going to feel like an imposter and that's when you know that you're confident. (laughs) And from my experience, it is just this beautiful little dance of, of little characters in my own brain. Because what we know about imposter syndrome is also usually those who feel it have a heightened sense of awareness, which is a very positive thing. Yes. So I don't know. I think I'd love to hear your perspective when it comes to confidence and self-doubt, because I'm going to say most dancers at some point are going to enter into an audition. They're going to go into the finals. They're going to go into some kind of high stakes moment. And maybe there's a few whispers, maybe it's a loud scream, but how do you guide both dance teachers and dancers to not let it be a reflection of their confidence?
0: Right. I think exactly what you said that they're, it's the both and that they can both be true. And the presence of a negative thought doesn't mean the absence of confidence. Having those, those moments, as you said, sometimes they're always there. And I think dancers feel like, the goal if I'm gonna be confident is to silence all of those thoughts. And that's to me, not the goal. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too when you're working with dancers, but I don't think the goal is to make those negative thoughts stop because it's not how our brains work, we can't. And then as soon as you are like mad at yourself that that negative thought is happening, now you're just piling shame and blame on top of the negative thought. So I try to approach it as they are separate things and that negative thought isn't a sign of a lack of confidence.
1: How do you see it? Totally. it's Yeah, that sign of it doesn't mean you're not ready. It doesn't mean you haven't put in the work. One that we've been talking about is just the cell phone, (laughs) as in (laughs) now when the cell phone rings, we're very discerning about what call we answer, like whether or not we're going to give it energy, whether or not we're going to entertain it. And then whether or not we like decide to pick it up, it's like do you do you have a conversation with it? How much time do you give it? And so for me, when self doubt shows up, because again, when you're doing big things, when the risk is high, and I'm I'm using most of my own life as that experience of like, yeah, you're doing something that you care about, that you want to do well. I think that that's the piece too, yeah. is like. Yes, of course, there is that deep yearning and also the way the brain works is just like like little negative critic. So to me, it's always, yes, that shows up and what would you like to do with it? How much time are you giving it? And often it's that part of ourself that is looking for just a little love and compassion Mm -hmm. because you want to do well, the stakes are high and it's going... I don't know if we can do this. And it needs sort of that that higher self, the 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 motherly self, the prefrontal cortex, just to say, totally get it. And mm-hmm. we're going to be okay. Like, yeah. it just, it, I wasn't good. And this is a bit of that perfectionist mentality of like, I wasn't good at speaking kindly to myself yeah. and that part of me. And so I know that that is a skill to be practiced yes. and an actual like, I know many people will draw out their self-doubt or their negativity monster. They'll, like I have an, a full name for like <laughs> <laughs> the amygdala fear part of my brain. Um, it just helps give it a little bit of space and distance to know that just because you think it doesn't mean it's accurate.
0: When did that awareness get better for you and heightened for you where you were able to say, this is a part of who I am and I can acknowledge it and I need to care for it? Rather than trying to shut it down, were you still dancing? Was it after uh, much later than that?
1: Yeah, for me, it be- it came later, but only because really the conversation was never had when I was dancing. Yeah, and I don't say it with any kind of blame. You know, uh-huh. like it was a different time. Sure. Teachers didn't have the tools. These kind of conversations, these podcasts, they didn't mm-hmm. exist, right? So I I think I would have had I. No, that I know, right? Yeah, but and that and that's the beauty of I think where you and I share is like so much of the skills we we share, so much of the support that we're trying to offer is because we know it can be helpful and useful sooner, <laughs> right? Yes,
0: yeah. So when you talk to dancers, do you have like what's your your framework, your approach to help them if they say every time I'm a, I'm sitting backstage for my solo and I start freaking out,
1: is what's the go-to approach for them the go-to approach first is always breath Mm. and normalizing that that should be your first (laughs) stop and we know (laughs) it from a brain right like we know it from a brain perspective like a functionality if your amygdala is like firing if your fear center is high if the emotions are high that prefrontal cortex and that thinking brain just isn't there for you Mm -hmm. and so It becomes a little bit of me saying it over and over and over again, particularly to dance educators to normalize the breath work, to normalize the pause, to do it as a group. Um, You know, when I walk into studios who the dancers refuse to close their eyes like we're sitting in a circle and there's yeah. like a refusal to like close your eyes. To me, that signals that we're sort of in a high judgment, high fear environment.
0: Absolutely. And so
1: the more that we can normalize breath, that is the gift for dancers when they're taking tests for educators and choreographers, when things aren't going well on stage and it is not in our control. Like, let us prioritize this from a brain functionality yes. space right oh, that's
0: that's so great i love i want to clarify cuz i know you and i can talk brain so easily and i want to just clarify for people listening that we're talking about you know amygdala and prefrontal cortex and using those terms uh just because you and i both can but the amygdala is that as you said fear center like it's what drives it's our threat response if we feel threatened that's what gets activated and so for a lot of dancers The behind the stage moment feels like a threat. And then your emotion center is going crazy. The prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that can make a conscious choice and decision, can plan things out, can uh, have some impulse control. And when our fear center is heightened, the decision-making slow down and think about this part is what's shutting off. And Mm so I everything you said is correct. I just wanted to take a second to like, you know, clarify and think through that, like, that's why breath is so important. And people will just say, oh, just take some deep breaths. But I think it's valuable to understand like what's happening. Like we really are trying to uh, kind of regulate that heightened emotion piece. And exactly as you said, normalize it so that this is what your brain's supposed to do. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with you.
1: Yeah. and, And I think you nailed it as in somebody says, take a few breaths. If you are in high emotion and yes, take a few breaths, but this is where it's like, try not to be in the drama when you're trying to access the skill. And that's where the more that we can incorporate it, it very specifically integrate it into our training and into the studio space. It's like, they have that tool and they actually, they'll, they'll use it. It's autonomous. They, it's all mm-hmm. theirs to, to access at any point. Right. And so when I look at that piece around self-doubt and confidence it's like okay you you're not able to access all of the knowledge and the truth in all the ways that you're prepared and you know all the support that you have if you're just in a bit of that you know, high emotional at times panic state. And I I, I sometimes play with the the fear versus emotion because I would say that I wasn't an overly fear, fearful competitor, but I was an emotional competitor as in regards to like my intensity was high. Hmm. My drive was high. Um, yeah. And so I just, I feel like breath is going to be number one when I work with the dancers. And then it's important. Again, so much of this is front loading that you, you have your little bullet point or your data, your little checkpoint, your data checkpoint list of all the ways that you are ready, right? Mm -hmm. All of the accurate, truthful ways that you are ready for the stage, or you've done all the work that you can do. And often coaches say that, right? It's like, you've done everything you can do. Just get out there and like, you've trained for this, but I'm a big advocate that the dancer needs to own and trust and embody that. And it's not just something that the coaches are saying.
0: Right. And I, yes, I love that. It's also, as you said, you have to practice it. It's going to build up to, if you don't talk about it or practice it until competition time or until audition day, you can't fix that. But being able to use it in small moments, because I think we are hopefully taking classes, learning choreography, doing things that are challenging us emotionally, causing mild stressors and like learning how to do it there. So will you speak a little bit more about how, like, how would we do this in the small moments that are going to help build towards the big?
1: I mean, there are so many ways to play with this, particularly depending on the ages that you're teaching and and coaching. But I mean, one way is just quite literally do a five minute brainstorm of just have them write down, I call it their do difficult data, (laughs) but it's like things, things that they have actually done. Right. And it's all them and your parents can do it for you. Your coach is going to do it for you. Like this is, this is the ways, or you can also do a little brainstorm of all the ways that I have put in the work and that I am ready. And so for me, it's a matter of you, you get it clear. Cause it's like, Oh, I know, I know, I know. Mm-mm. I want all your, I knows
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: the invisible. I knows visible and out on paper so that yes. you can actually reflect on them and also call them up. And I think the big part of this is they have to be true. Yes. For each dancer or for each coach who, because I mean, I feel like all coaches could do this too. Right, right. Like, woo. yes. It's those moments of have how have I done the work? Like I know this to be true or we've done the best that we can and it's not going to be perfect. And I still can stand strong in this was the best that we could do to prepare for this event. So there's some of that. I also really love the calling it out in the moment and o- overly celebrating when we are on track, or that was a big growth moment. Or, I mean, I've heard you speak about this so many times, right? Mm-hmm. Of just the, the vocalized celebration of what is going right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Because that data, when you look at the ratio, the actual coaching ratio of corrections to celebrations or momentum or growth, no, it's usually <laughs> terrible. Absolutely. So from that aspect, it is a, a little bit where you don't have to change your class plan. You just have to be much more mindful and conscious of letting the dancers hear it, embody it, see it, celebrate it. So it yeah. also becomes true. Yes. Do you have any, any specific practices that you guide dancers or coaches through with yeah. self-doubt? I think, let's see. I love... I
0: agree. I should say that I, that kind of calling, calling out the celebrating the small wins, because you're trying to shift their awareness, like back to why this works. It's not just like, yay, give them a little, you know, boost and happy feeling and dopamine. Yes, that's great. But it's also making them aware of all the good things they've done, because their brain is just telling themselves all the things that are wrong. And so we need to interject some of that positive more often, usually, um, especially for the perfectionist dancers or the self-critical dancers. Uh, so yes to that, and more of that. Uh, but also, as you were saying, it has to be self-referent. At some point, they have to see it for themselves. And so being able to, you know, as the teacher, not just constantly telling them, but helping them find it within. And I think just like we teach a physical skill, and I can't, I can tell you to pull up in your pirouette 50 times but unless you remember to do it in the moment like you have to own it and you as the dancer have to embrace that and I think working with this confidence stuff remembering how to take deep breaths and remembering how to call up my uh the things that I have done well that I can lean on like that has to eventually be something that they do for themselves which only happens if you're doing it constantly which I guess is back to like my original question about does confidence only happen in those big moments and this is why I think that's such a myth. It's not true that, yes, you might get that boost in the big moment, as we were saying, but mostly confidence is going to come in just doing this every day, doing mm-hmm. something hard, taking on a challenge and then seeing yourself be successful in that moment. So yeah. like tangible things, I love to tell coaches, I'm like, pick something. Like the strength training thing you're going to do for the day, the combination, you know, your petite lego combination is going to be particularly fast or reversed or something that's going to be challenging. And tell the dancers like I'm intentionally challenging you with this today because I think you can do it, but let's try, let's go for it. Mm -hmm. And making them aware of here's a challenge and you did it. And if Mm -hmm. they didn't do it, that's fine. We didn't get there today. We're going to come back to this combo and try it again tomorrow and helping them know that challenges are good. Know that mistakes are okay in that moment. And then Mm -hmm. through
1: noticing the wins uh, Mm -hmm. along the way. So And when I hear you speak like that, um I just I give a giant hug <laughs> and Aww. and and permission slip to the to the dance educators who are doing that and coming up against dancers that just like refuse to see it. yeah, and in that moment, acknowledging, yes, we are part of their world. We are not the only thing of their world. And so, depending on, other adults in their world and the voices and the, and the language they use um, the recognition that they are so bombarded with perfection and messages throughout, you know, social media and just like a cultural context that we are still like, I'm cheering everyone on to like stick with it and stay, stay with it and stay with them. Mm -hmm. And also recognize that like there's, maybe going to be some dancers that are, are doubled down. I actually had a therapist say this to me once. Ooh, this is, this is revealing, but she was like, there's nothing that I can do if you are committed or always just a little more committed to hating yourself.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And you're just like, you're like, Oh, (laughs) yeah. But, but I understood what she was saying because it's like, if I, and putting on my glasses of sort of that perfectionism that only see my flaws that only see the ways that I am falling behind that I am not good enough that I am not keeping up with xyz and and all the ways in which I don't look like that or I'm not or I don't have that body and let's be honest like dance is an embodied mm-hmm. experience and so that compare and despair can come on but If I am gripping to those glasses and I am like, nobody is taking these away. I am so committed to finding all my flaws and just like hating everything. There was nothing a coach could do in that moment. And so it's like always coming back to that place of just like we give as much as we can and also recognize that, yeah, there's there's a give and take or there's sometimes people are going to take a lot longer than What you think you should, because you see, they're wonderful and they're brilliant and they're awesome and they're all the things. And so I just, yeah, I give a lot of compassion because I think we've all had, you know, relationships with some of those dancers who you wish you could just give them your eyes. Like, I wish you could see me through your eyes. And it's just like, that's not how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, that's so
0: well said and important for people to hear because if we are coaches and teachers, we're here because we love them and we want to help them. And when we feel like we're not getting through or we feel like you know I keep trying and I've had this dancer for 3 years and it's she still won't hear me it feels like we're doing something wrong and if that dancer there's two things if that dancer is either not ready for it or there's too many other louder messages in the opposite direction you may not be able to get through for a while but that doesn't mean to stop as you said like just keep going and i've you know i've heard from some dancers it's like in the time that i was with them i didn't think much changed but then i might hear from them you know four years later they've graduated college they're on their you know first jobs they're a mom and they come back and they're like i'm thinking about things differently now than Mm -hmm. i did and i couldn't hear you at 16 but i hear you at 26 or i hear you you know and like that that's what i try to hold on to as the educator when you feel like you're not getting through your work still matters. And you're still, you may be one positive
1: voice in a sea of negativity, Mm -hmm. but keep doing it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that also loops into a coach's confidence, right? Because that, because you're searching for an outcome or a result, you want this dancer to all like be more confident. And in those moments, yeah, you're starting to attach it to things that just aren't totally in your control. And so when I look at, I had a moment where I was kind of reflecting on my own confidence journey, you yeah. know, just because it's not stable. Maybe that's no. another thing. Maybe that that's is. another myth. Right? Yes. Agreed. Like, 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 I think
0: once you have co- the myth is once you have confidence, you always have it. Like, yeah, that's just wrong. <laughs> I will just be blatant and say, I think that's just wrong. I, I think, I think
1: we can make that claim. Right. And <laughs> and it's situational and it can be conditional. And I know for me, like certain people, I feel really confident around and then someone walks in the room and I can feel my energy shrink a little bit. And I'm just like, God, duh. what is that? Yeah. What is, what is that? And so when I look at my own sort of, if I'm looking through it through myself with love, it's like, are you in your values? Mm-hmm. Right? Like first and foremost, am I in my values? This would also insinuate that people have taken a moment with their values and that yes. they're clear on, on those pieces, but it's like, okay am I clear on my values? Are my intentions, I'm not even going to say good, but just like I I always want to be helpful, not harmful. Mm -hmm. And there's times where I'm going to get it wrong because I think I'm being helpful and it's like, that's not helpful or you're actually, (laughs) that approach doesn't work for them. Okay, cool, 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 cool. But like my intentions are ones uh, to be a contributor or to be generous or to be helpful, not harmful. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's that piece. I think there's also a piece around knowing that how I'm showing up is authentically me. I'm Mm -hmm. not proving, I'm not pushing, I'm rooted in that integrity. I'm rooted in, in that sense of self. And so from that aspect that is where I can sort of stabilize my confidence and not let it be so rocked by other people's opinions or other people's experiences. But again, it's like, I, even as a coach, it's going to fluctuate. And we can, we can only sort of come back into ourselves and go, am I still being true to me? Are these like, does this still feel right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. What are your thoughts? That's kind of my rambling, but. No,
0: I, I love it. And I agree that I think, I was reflecting on my own, as you were saying that, that I think I got much better at understanding my values, being able to articulate them, and then being able to use that platform when my confidence is rocked. I got there, but in like my late 30s, (laughs) this was not like something I could do as a dancer at all, or most of my time as a coach. And so I think there's two sides to that. One, can we help the younger dancers and young coaches get there faster? please. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot of the work that you and I both do. And I talk about values so much. I won't set goals with anyone unless we've talked about values. So on the one hand, yes, do it sooner, find your values. That is your foundation when everything else comes at you, when any of the negative self-talk happens, when the comparison happens, when you are not outwardly successful and get pressure, all of that comes back to having that foundation of values. But the flip side of that is I don't think it's developmentally appropriate for a 15-year-old to have solid values and an understanding of themselves. They're not going to, and that's okay. And as a coach and as a teacher and as a dancer, understanding that that process to find your values is fluid and it's going to take time and you can start thinking about it and you can start working on them as a teenager, but it's going to change and that makes a lot of this confidence stuff harder because you're looking for, if I look like her, if I act like her, if I'm, if I, you know, behave the way he does, I will be confident because we can't yet look inward. So it's, Mm -hmm. yes, you can do it sooner, but also it's supposed to take time in your life and that's okay.
1: Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Like that age that you just said of like the whole point is to be messy and figure it out, right? Yes. Like that's right the whole point with whether it's your identity, the music you listen to, the boys you date. Like this is again all my story, right? But it was just like <laughs> my outfits changed depending on the boy I was dating because I literally was like, "Who am I? Who do I want to hang with? What are the conversations? What what yes. lights me up?" You know. But I think that we're we're sort of circling around another one of those myths that action requires you to be confident. Right. And what you've just described through all of the value exploration, through the identity exploration, it's like, no, you get to be in a messy middle and you get to like, you don't have to feel confident in order to try something, in order to, you know, go in a new direction, in order to um, peel a little, a little armor off and get a little bit more vulnerable. Right. It's like confidence. You don't have to wait for that. You through your actions, through your exploration, through the messy middle, we start to cultivate a little bit more of that self trust
0: yes, absolutely. did you find that in your own dance journey, academic journey, consulting journey of and I guess I'll speak for myself that i the first few times you do anything, you know the first time I record a podcast, the first time I sit with a team, you know all of that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but how do I possibly and the confidence doesn't come. If, if I had waited for the confidence, I never would have started.
1: A hundred percent. Um, my the funny story this week was I have a friend who's also a, a dance educator and a dance program director, and she sends me this little voice note and she was like, Okay, so I show up to my son's high school fashion show. <laughs> this This team of well intentioned teachers. Um, has all these LED lights, and nobody knows how to set them up. And so she like rolls up her sleeves, and she is now lighting the fashion show. And she just laughs and goes like, I didn't know I had that skill, or that was such a a skill I had developed so much confidence around. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this is how it works, right? It's like, you don't know how to do something, you have to figure it out a bunch of times, throw yourself in, I don't know, like wrestle with it, do it poorly. Mm -hmm. But eventually there's a moment where you're like, Oh, I guess I do. I guess I do know how to do this. Or there's just that like slow, slow build. Um, For me, what was interesting and I reflected on it this morning in my journaling, knowing we're going to explore confidence is that I had a very high level of confidence as a dancer. Now I had to pause and go, was it overconfidence, which I would actually link to some naivete of just like really thinking I could do anything? Um you know, and I had to get real with myself of was there also arrogance? right sort of just like that inflated sense of self i'm sure that there was both at different times at different ages and different stages yeah. but i did have a strong sense of self trust that i mm-hmm. i definitely took action before i was probably ready or mm-hmm. felt confident but i was willing to toss it in there and to go for it um a lot of my initial memories that come up have to do with me singing because like oh. not a super confident singer, or like not a super trained, but I was willing to like get up and give it a go
0: mm-hmm.
1: but what was interesting is when I transitioned into the professional worlds, literally within weeks, shattered, yeah, and not only did I like lose confidence i I think I lost all confidence. it was like a it for me, I've shared it with you before it was an athletic identity crisis, it was. I have no sense of who I am, my worth, my value. And when we're looking at self-worth, I mean, again, you can see it on Instagram and it's like (laughs) a concept, which like, Hey, that sounds like a good idea. But the more and more I deep dive into any kind of mental skills or any kind of just like healthy sense of well being from the inside out tends to come to this, right? right? This, I, this sort of sense that like, I don't have to be perfect or that I do have worth, even if I don't win a competition or Mm -hmm. work with a certain professional company. So for me, a large part of my twenties, even early thirties, I would say, because I went back to school a little bit later Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and just everything that's happened over the past four or five years, I will say like, oh, this thing just keeps going. But I will say, I felt like i had it and i lost it yeah. and so much of this journey has been how do i reconnect or find it but in a way that's true and stable and not dependent on the keynote speeches or the magazine articles or the social media followers because that's a that's a tasty little trap right it could be so easy to want to hook self-worth onto those again and so for me it confidence it's so curious to me because I, I've i had so many different experiences with it mm-hmm. and what rattles it or what makes it super fragile. Right. I <laughs> Again, that... I go back to, yeah. No, I was going to say that I, I
0: appreciate you sharing that and being open with it because I think it brings up the point that confidence is domain specific or it, it changes depending on our context in life. And we again, assume like, oh, if I'm a confident person, I'm confident in everything I do. And we're just usually not even, you know, think about academics of if somebody's like, oh, I'm, I'm just I'm not good at math. But if we go into English, I'm like, great. I will, I'll raise my hand and I'll talk and I'm fine. But in this other class, I can't do it. And or, you know, in dance, I'm super confident if we're doing hip hop. But as soon as we go do a contemporary, I shut down and I'm totally not. And that that is normal. And that, as you were saying, when you are your context shifted to something that was completely unfamiliar, that's when confidence is often shattered. And I, same for me, it's like the first, you know, time you do something in a new context, you have that sense of like, I have never been here before. I've never done this. How can I possibly have that self-trust? And even on a micro level, I was talking to dancers just a, a week ago who were getting ready to go to the national championship for the first time. And they were like, we've never been here. We have no idea how to do this. We can't compete at the national level. And just talking about, like, again, going back to where have you been successful before or what can you lean on? And it's like you have done something new lots of times. You haven't done this new thing, but you've done something new and you've been successful in that moment lots of times. What are those things? And that's something that's helped dancers. And I think it helped me in a lot of those moments of like, no, I have never lectured to 400 freshmen college students. Okay, this is terrifying. How am I going to do this? But I can also be like, what else have I done? I have given big speeches before. I have taught before. Being able to lean into the things that you have done, building the self-trust, even when you're in a new
1: context. Love that. Uh, and I, I think that you're also getting at another myth that extroversion is confidence. Yes. (laughs) You know, just this, like, I think that I am an extroverted human. I came out of the womb leaning (laughs) that direction. Yes, There's VHS tapes that point (laughs) to purity. And what was really, I'll say painful, it caused a lot of suffering is that I think a little bit through dance and again, another myth of fake it till you make it. Yes. I don't think people had any sense of how much I was struggling on the inside because I kind of went into that um, fake it till you make it type um, outer portrayal. Maybe it was a perfectionist, you know, armor for sure. We can call them whatever we want, but That's another piece I think we assume, and I I know a lot of dancers when they get into the rehearsal hall or when they're in class with maybe new dancers, it's like, if there is a person who is extroverted, loud, um, aggressive, it's like, oh, they're confident. Mm -hmm. And what you and I know is that some of the most confident human beings and dancers are the most quiet. Yes. And some of the loudest are the least confident. It's both sides. Agreed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I would love to explore the fake it till you make it because I think this is a, a, an interesting one in the dance community specific because there is an element where it's like, well, if you don't have it, the audi- you're in the audition. It's happening. Put that smile on, right? Like, mm-hmm. ugh, ugh, the time is now. Um, yes. But I would love to hear how you um, perhaps pull apart that philosophy or that very quick and easy thing that many dance teachers have said.
0: Yes. Okay. And I I love you to keep turning. You're turning this on me and it's wonderful. And I'm going to turn it right back to you and see if you feel differently about it. That I think you're right. It's so easy to say. And on one hand, there is some research about body language and how that can actually change things in your brain. So we do know things that power stance, the putting a pencil in your mouth to force the smile triggering, you know, the same neural response. So yes, there is some element to like, take the stage with your chin up, no matter how you actually feel. That can make a small difference. It really can. And not only in how you feel, but you know, how a judge sees you take the floor primes them for what they're about to see. So Yes, there is a grain of, of truth to the, to that thought that you should, like you said, put the smile on and being in such a performative sport, you have, you have to put that shield up, that face on. Um, but I think where it gets dangerous is it becomes uh, the thing you say when I don't know what else to say or do, or I don't know how to train you to be confident. And we've been saying so much that confidence comes from doing the work and recognizing the work and recognizing the effort that's been put in and fake it till you make it is a feels a little bit more like the band-aid of like, well, you didn't put the work in yet. So just fake it. And it's like, but if that's the message, that's terrible. (laughs) That's not what we want to focus on.
1: I just know in my personal experience (laughs) going into auditions where I haven't put in the work to sing, I don't have that credibility within myself. Mm -hmm. There is not a Incredible source of self-talk that says, you got it, Whitney. You know, right. like, yes. <laughs> like, just go for it. It was like, okay, there is no choice but to fake it till we make it right now because I haven't done the work. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a sense of, um, your brain knows. Right. You can't fool yourself. And so absolutely, yes, when the time comes and it is the job interview, it is the performance, it is the, you need to get on the stage and speak to hundreds of people, whether or not that confidence is there. It's like, we know that a performance is required. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also it's just not sustainable. And, and I think it's a little hacky, right? Like you're hoping that there's a hack, you're hoping that there's a loophole, you're hoping that your enthusiasm is going to pull you through.
0: Right. Yeah. It's the crutch when you haven't done the work and which, okay, sometimes you really haven't done the work and that's all you got, but that's not going to be a source of confidence. And I think that's where it gets thrown around is like, if you just keep faking it, you will eventually make it and be confident. And that, no, it might be a bandaid and a crutch in the moment that to your point is not sustainable. It's not going to actually help you feel more confident. It makes you more aware of like, wow, I really did not, I was not prepared for that at all.
1: I think that that's where, we hold all of these myths or we we explore them with so much curiosity and compassion and gentleness, or at least that's how I explore them. Because when I go into that place of self-judgment or there's a right or a wrong way to feel or a right or a wrong way to be or... You know, I'm seeing things through that let that compare and despair. Where it's literally like they look confident, or <laughs> so that must mean <laughs> I'm not. They are inaccurate ways of thinking. Usually, mm-hmm. we're falling into some kind of thinking trap, cognitive distortion, thinking error, whatever you want to Google to find out. You know, <laughs> like what what are those? Um, but they are specific ways of thinking that are inaccurate. And I I said that to a group of pre professional students a couple of weeks ago. I said your brain is not built to make you happy. It is built for survival, right? Your brain is built for survival, not accuracy. And so in these moments, can we challenge ourselves or what we thought to be true about confidence? And can we really come? And I think that when I, when I teased apart, like where does confidence come from? I wholeheartedly believe it comes from a source of love. Yeah. You have enough love and self respect and self trust that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be quote unquote ready. You don't, you don't have to do that. You can just do the work. You can invest in yourself. It breaks my heart. And I hear it a lot, how dancers have hard times accepting compliments or yes. Believing them.
0: Believing them. Right. Right just nodding and saying thank you, but not taking
1: it to heart. Or you actually think people are lying. Right. (laughs) You're like, you're just saying that. Yeah. And to me, confidence is going to come when you can just hit pause and start to find all the spaces and the places that you can get on your own team. You know, you you can give yourself that same respect and love and support. And also what I know to be true is that truly confident people, they never go into that fear, attack, jealousy, sort of, I need to put somebody else down to make myself feel better. Like that's not confidence. And so for me, it's like, if you can do the work as a dancer or as a team or as a coach to really find that individual self-talk and source and credibility You only float all boats, right? Like the tide only rises. It's in the fear, the scarcity, the favoritism, the insecurity that it just, it just crumbles. It turns into just an absolute confidence earthquake. And whether, whether or not we mean to do it with our teams or ourselves, it's what's happening. And so we need to be able to, I think, hit the pause and reconsider. That's so well said. I was going to
0: ask you for like summary thoughts and you just beautifully did it, uh, that I think it, it is that self-love and it has to have, you have to do the work and you have to love yourself through it. And then for us as coaches, we have to do that as educators, we have to continue to do that. But then our role in helping our dancers do that, like you can play a role in helping them get to that place, but it's a different approach rather than just trying to say again, why why don't you believe me when I tell you how good you are? Like I know and you're just trying to pour compliments versus speaking in a way of like, are are you proud of what you did? Or how how have you felt successful this week in helping them find the internal and
1: that that shift that's we're all still fighting for and trying to figure out how to do that. But and and it's messy and particularly if you're going after excellence or you you've worn the lens of perfectionism. (laughs) You know, you've worn your little perfectionist glasses for a long time. It can, it can feel soft. It can feel elusive. It can feel very new. And yet I think when we, when I look at it from the coach's perspective, because I do, I always remind dance teachers and educators and coaches, like you're not a therapist or a counselor or a psychologist nor is anyone expecting you to be. And actually, if you feel yourself leading into that role, you should probably hit pause, right? So like right. remembering the that we influence the confidence of the team through the thoughts, words, actions, very intentional exercises, purposeful challenges, right? Like that's our domain. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be able to, whether it is required recording your class, recording your voice, um, quite literally asking dancers, like, what is it like to be coached by me? Or how could I help your confidence? Or is there something that I do that diminishes confidence? And it can be anonymous, right? We can tell pretty quickly, are they searching for external validation? Right. And we can, we can give them a little bit of that, but also like, okay, yeah, we're working through it. But the amount of dancers that have shared how devastating favoritism is. Mm -hmm. We can do all these things. And if we are not clean on our side of the street, if we are not mindful of how we are setting these systems and the structure and these conversations up, you can say, oh my gosh, I think you're so great. But like literally if they've only ever seen the back corner and you don't pay attention to them, like (laughs) not... (laughs) Effective. So I think, yeah, I know how many coaches and and dance educators listen to your podcast. And I, I think that that's the invitation that you share all the time is like, start with self. Right. And just with a curious and compassionate eye. Can we re explore this topic and some of our own practices? And we're not going to be perfect. Nobody expects you to be perfect. It is messy. When I was integrating mental skills into studio spaces, like I've played with it for 14 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's sometimes I'll walk away from a class and I was like, that wasn't it. Right. Yep. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> like, good attempt, not it. Um, so I think being able to. Give ourselves the same sort of grace and space that we offer the dancers, but also the same commitment level to it that that we want everyone to subscribe to.
0: Yes. Well, I want to leave us with that thought. Start with self, that that's all of this confidence conversation to lean into how this feels for you and then how you can bring that in to your dancers. Thank you so much, Lauren. I love we could talk forever. And I love that we are so always in line. Thank you for sharing. Will you share with uh, our listeners where they can find more about you and the work that you have done bringing mental skills in, into dance studios?
1: Absolutely. Well, I cannot not express how grateful I am for you mm-hmm. and your consistent generosity with what you share through your wisdom, your experiences, your education. It's just, I am always inspired as a fellow <laughs> comrade and <laughs> and here. And I'm even more grateful that you and I have been able to become friends Mm -hmm. from a distance. Yes. And and we're going to count this as a big win for Instagram and online work, right? (laughs) Yes. So that is where, I mean, I am on Instagram. It's Lauren underscore M underscore Richie. That's R-I-T-C-H-I-E with Lauren dot C-A is my website and it's .ca. Cause I am, well, I'm sure most people can hear now. I'm from Canada. <laughs> my, my accent is just it like creeps in and I'm yes. always just, oh. <laughs> um, but those are, those are the two <laughs> main spots. Um, I did as, as you know, and you've talked about before, I have the dance podcast. It is a seasonal one. And I've been on a break for a little bit because it, it actually started with the intention to help dancers transition from their competitive studio spaces into the professional world hence my mess became my message right it yes. was just like what's the information i didn't have what are the conversations and thanks to liz gilbert <laughs> she she sort of she had a podcast and described it in the most beautiful way of like it gets to have seasons mm-hmm. and it gets to have pauses and we get to make stuff and then decide whether or not we're picking it up again and so for me the dance podcast is there. There's nothing more that I love than obviously this talking to each other. And also I'm very intentional with each season. And so for, for right now, there's not new episodes. Um, but that's because I'm, I'm waiting for that next fire to start within my heart. You're walking the walk
0: of everything we talk about that to do it the way that is right with your values and your intentions. And the podcast is still there. All the episodes are there. If you haven't found it, go listen. Um, So many great things in there. I appreciate that. So thank you again, Lauren. I love chatting with you. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you.